fire. Now, fire, it ignites, no pun intended, something uh, primal in me. I'm a huge bushcraft guy. I love survival skills. That's not what we're talking about today, so don't be put off if that's not your thing. But in me, uh, fire just ignites something really primal, and I always refer to it, as so many people do, as the caveman TV it reminds me of all the times as a child I would go camping. We'd never go camping without a little campfire. But there are so many genuine uses for fire around the homestead. And that's going to be the subject of today's episode. Before we get any further, though, I just want to say one of the very best things you can do if you wanted to help the show is to share it. It's super helpful is the very best way that we can grow our audience. So I wanted to first of all thank everyone that's taken the time to share the show on their social media platforms, to tell their friends about it. But I also wanted to just encourage you guys to do it again. And if you haven't done it yet to do it, please, please, please share us. It is the very best way of getting the word out there. Just as simple as saying to people, this is a podcast I listen to. I love it. I think you might too. It is by far the best way of growing the audience. So thanks again, guys, and on with the show. Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 115 of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I do hope you're all safe and well. Today we are going to be talking about fire and fire is just one of those things that years and years ago every single person would have been using on a very regular basis everyone would know how to start a fire everyone would have multiple uses for fires and no one would be unfamiliar with them with regular wood burning fires and today we're going to be talking about all the different uses for them and how perhaps we could start incorporating them into our daily and weekly routines a little bit more to help to make us more self-sufficient. Now, I'm not really talking about survival skills in this episode, although that may well come up. I'm really talking about the functionality of fires for things like heating our homes, cooking food, and for, you know, disposing of waste. So we're going to be talking about the practical side of fires, why you might want to consider your use of them different ways you can incorporate them into the things you do, some of their byproducts and all the different areas which may give you scope to incorporate fires in your routines. Now, before we get into that, I just uh, got a little bit of housekeeping here to get through. Um, I've had a lovely email from a new listener asking, basically, what can you do before you've got your property? If you're looking to buy a property or move into a property to start homesteading, what can you do in the meantime? And in the reply, I, it just a massive stream of consciousness came to me and it, there's just far too much you can do to, to put in an email. So that is actually going to be the subject of a 
forthcoming episode. It could be Fridays, but if not, it will certainly be next week. Um, basically, all the things you can do homesteading, even if you don't have a very big garden, even if you don't have a garden at all, if you're not really looking at starting homesteading yet, how you can start incorporating some of those principles before you start. The other thing I wanted to say was just to give you guys a bit of an update on my personal health situation. Now, I've been really quite open and vocal on YouTube and on Facebook sharing what happened to me, but I haven't really got you guys who only listen to the podcast caught up. So I want to just briefly do that here. It'll only take a minute or so, but um, today is Monday. I'm recording this on the day this episode is going to be released. So exactly a week ago, I fell from a stepladder at work from quite a height and Basically, I hit my head on the concrete floor and also my my body. And in doing so, I caused quite a serious fracture to my right wrist. Now, I spent all day last Monday in hospital. A significant portion of that time I spent on one of those hard boards where they have your head and neck taped still because... I spent a lot of Monday unsure whether there was going to be some significant, you know, spinal injuries or head trauma. Anyway, the long version cut short is that I was discharged on Monday, basically all well, given the all clear. There was nothing wrong with me beyond a fracture to my wrist. Now, I've since been in and out of hospital several times. I went back on can't remember, one day last week, I think it might have been the Tuesday or the Thursday. Yes, in fact, it was. It was the Tuesday or the Thursday, I think, to um, to get my wrist cast. And in that process, it was discovered that the fracture was actually quite a bit worse than we had originally anticipated. And basically, I've, I've compressed some of the bone and it's all quite a big mess in there. So I'm having to have surgery on my wrist and that surgery will take place tomorrow. Another lagging ongoing issue I've had is dizziness and I've been suffering with dizziness every time I sit or stand and it's been getting progressively worse and this led me to basically spend most of yesterday back in the hospital having some more tests done and yet again the short version is that I'm all fine and there's nothing at all to worry about. I've been given some medication to help me deal with it although it's not um, made the problem go away. So I'm still struggling quite a lot with uh, every time I stand up feeling really quite dizzy. And the reason I went into hospital yesterday is because I was just concerned with tomorrow's surgery coming up. If there was any kind of, um, you know, residual damage inside my skull, if there was a bleed there or some kind of hemorrhage or um, concussion that we hadn't picked up when we were in the hospital first. I didn't want to then go into a general anaesthetic without anyone knowing that. So anyway, like I say, I've had all the tests done. I also had a COVID test done yesterday. The idea being that they like to screen you for COVID-19 before you go into surgery so that they basically know how to treat you when you're in surgery, whether you go into a wing that is for people who have COVID or a wing that isn't. So um, I've had all that done and I'm going under the knife tomorrow, which will be a general anaesthetic. So who knows how that will affect me and how long it will take me to uh, recover from that. I don't anticipate it being a particularly onerous recovery because it's only a short procedure and it's on my wrist. It's not on any of my internal organs or my brain or anything like that. So um, yeah, that's where I am. So 
physically i am in bed a great deal i'm probably in bed about 16 hours a day at the moment although i am trying to get out and about i really am um i'm just wiped out completely and uh, yeah so that's where i am so that brings you guys all up to speed so all of those of you who have been in touch with your well wishes i am extremely grateful but uh I'm on the mend, everything's going to be fine, and that's where we are. So with that aside, let's get into the main portion of today's episode. You can now support the show directly. Just go to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. You can become a patron and set up to donate to the show from any amount. Pledging as little as $3 a month makes a huge difference. If that's not your thing, you can also support the show by sharing it with people you know or posting about it on social media. We really appreciate all the help that you give us. It's people like you that make this show possible. So living in a modern world, obviously, we don't need to use fire anymore or at least we don't need to use the sort of fires that we light ourselves. We've all got, or most of us have got, and if we haven't got, we can certainly get central heating. So we can heat our houses without fires. We all have gas or electric cookers. So even though a gas is using fire, we don't have to light the fire. We don't have to gather fuel. We can cook our food without having to worry about fire. But just because we can do these things doesn't mean we should, or doesn't mean we shouldn't at least consider the alternatives. Of course, we can all go to the supermarket and buy our food, but lots of us listening to this podcast choose not to. Well, I choose to be a little bit more connected to fires and the way we would traditionally have done a lot of things. So that's what we're talking about today. So there's three real ways that I personally use fire on a regular basis regular regular basis the first is in house heating we have three open fires within our house or rather two open fires and a, and a log burner so the wood burner is a stove with a door that closes on it so it's effectively a big metal box and the other fires are open fires that um, are completely open to the room so if you had some wood on there that would spit it would spit out into the room so that's the main difference between a log burner and an open fire. One is open to the room and the other one isn't. So the difference between those is you might want to use slightly different wood, wood that doesn't spit as much. And, you know, you want to use just nice, clean, seasoned wood in your open fire. You want to use seasoned wood in both for lots of different reasons, but you can be a little bit less fussy with a log burner. But the amount of heat that you get from an open fire in your house or from a log burner in your house is so significant. I do genuinely believe that everybody should at least consider having one put in if they don't already. Now, the costs can be significant as well, but those costs all come back in savings of your heating bills, particularly if you can source your own firewood. Now, for me, the idea of having lots of fire around a lot of our regular systems is linked intrinsically to having access to timber and having a large piece of woodland but you don't need that you can coppice your own wood from a much smaller area or indeed you can find people that are grateful for you to sort of tidy up and clear up wooded areas that they may have so there is ways to gain 
timber for cheaper than you might think or even for free but of course growing your own is the best way of doing it because then you're in control of that source but when it comes to a fire in your house I mean for me just they are they're a lovely focal point as well you know we tend to spend all of our time in the kitchen in our kitchen it's a kitchen come dining room it's a large room and at one end we've got the dining room and at the edge of the dining room table we've got a little sofa and that's where my wife and I sit we very rarely go and sit in our front room in our lounge that's where we tend to sit in the evenings and to have that little wood burner there glowing away is just a lovely enhancement to the ambiance of the room and it feels lovely it feels amazing and when you walk in there from being outside you've lit the fire and it's lovely and warm it's just it is just a lovely feeling and you don't get that from central heating it's amazing and it's a lovely way of being able to dry our boots and things that we put around it and you know we just love it we wouldn't be without it we absolutely wouldn't now you can install them for not as much money as you might think if you're going to go from scratch and you're just going to pay someone to install them here in the UK you're going to expect to pay upwards of a thousand pounds for a really cheap simple setup that really is the starting price if you're paying someone else to install them but it could easily get a lot lot more than that the fireplace itself if you're going to buy a wood burner the starting price for a wood burner is around three or four hundred pounds for a really small one so I do suggest you have a look at what is secondhand. But the other thing to bear in mind is you will need them to be installed by a HITAS registered installer because they need to be signed off to comply with building regulations. But you might be able to find a HITAS installer that is happy to work with you and you install your own because they're not actually all that difficult to install if you are okay with a little bit of DIY. So they are basically just a hot box with a flue, a pipe that comes either out the back and out the wall and then up or straight up and out through the roof. And if those are things that you are comfortable thinking about installing, then you can probably have a go at it yourself but like I say you do want to make sure that you're doing it in league with someone who has the the uh, relevant certification to guide you along the way and then sign it off in the end so I do recommend them I recommend you have a look at putting one in and just even if you don't go through with it just have a look and have in the back of your mind what the costs are so that at some point in the future if you decide to put one in you're a little bit ahead of the game next up we're going to talk about the other two types of fires that I use on a regular basis you can find self-sufficient hub content elsewhere online in lots of other places we have a YouTube channel, we also have our website, and now there's our Facebook page and Facebook group. Links to all of these you can find in the show notes. Come check us out. Now, that's our inside fires dealt with, but I also have two outside fires that I light on a regular basis, and one is our fire pit, which is just outside our kitchen, and the other is our bonfire. So we'll start with our fire pit. Now, our fire pit is a commercially bought one. I think I paid around £30 for it, and it's amazing what you can get for very little money. It's just a big steel bowl on some legs with a mesh cover that goes over the top and absolutely love it it looks lovely it's portable it's very lightweight so when we are 
using it just outside the kitchen, for instance, we would cook on it and maybe even just have it lit for a little bit of warmth if we're out there. But we can also very easily pick it up and move it somewhere else in our garden if we wanted to have some friends over for a picnic or whatever. And we can all sit around it as the sun goes down. So it's a lovely item. They're available incredibly cheaply. But of course, you don't need to buy one at all, particularly if you don't want it portable. If you just want a fire pit to be somewhere specific that is going to be in the same place every time, then of course, you can just shallow out a little bowl in the ground. And there you go. There's your fire pit. Now, fire pits are great because you've got those slightly higher sides which means they're perfect for putting whatever kind of arrangement across for cooking on. We do an awful lot of cooking outside over the fire and it's something that I just, I think it really engages the kids and gets them involved with the outside. It gets them involved with the cooking. It gets them involved with, you know, an, an exciting dinner. It's our equivalent of a barbecue. I mean, it is a barbecue, but we just choose to use a fire pit rather than a shop-bought, made-of-steel barbecue with or without coal or with or without gas. You know, we just use timber we just use wood now if you are cooking on wood you're going to want to use some get some slightly bigger timbers burning you know something maybe i would say three inches diameter minimum you want to get something like that burning and then let that kind of die down so you're not having flames anymore just like you would on a barbecue the only thing i'm mentioning here is really that you're going to want some bigger timbers to allow that to happen because obviously when you're using coal you're using a product that is already designed to be lit that way and then cooked on whereas when you first light your sticks and twigs and build up to a fire you're going to get a lot of smoke which means you're going to get a lot sorry you're going to get a lot of flames which means you're going to get a lot of soot and you could well be using some less than perfectly seasoned wood because you might be saving that for your house fire and with that comes some smoke. So you're not going to want to cook on that straight away. You're going to want to get that lit and let that almost build up and then die down a little bit before you cook on it. But other than that, you cook on it just like you would a barbecue. You can cook on it with a plate across the top, you know, something out of your oven that you're using to go across the top and put your meat or burgers or sweet corn or whatever it is you're cooking on there. Or of course, you can use spits and we just use bits of wood again. Bits of wood, we, uh, give our kids a knife, let them sharpen up the end of a spit each, put their sausage or whatever they might want on it or their marshmallows and let them go. And it's a great activity. And it it's just one of those things that there are lots of things we do where we try and turn a meal into a family activity where we're all together. And this is just one of them. And it is a great way of doing that. So we probably cook on an open fire in the summer, twice a week, maybe more. And in the winter, a bit less, maybe once every couple of weeks. It really does depend on the weather and how everyone's feeling. It's a little bit more work, takes a little bit more time. But this is work and time that, for me, is enjoyable. And it increases the enjoyment of the whole meal by bringing everyone together. The last way that we use fires is in bonfires. Now, if you've only got a very small garden, then chances are if you're having a bonfire then you're probably wasting a resource whatever it is you're burning has probably got a better use whether that is to be used as mulch whether it's to be used as compost material or whether it's to be used as animal feed or fuel for burning on perhaps a fire pit to cook on or whatever it might be 
But when you've got a very large space, then bonfires are not so much a waste, but they tend to take up that bit in between. So what we tend to burn is, for instance, when we've done some hedge trimming and then we've put those hedge trimmings in for the goats to eat, whatever's left over when the goats have eaten, it isn't quite big enough to make it worthwhile seasoning and drying and burning on our fire inside. It isn't quite big enough to make it worthwhile to use on our fire pit to cook on. We might save some of that for our sort of kindling, but we do have a significant portion left over and that's what we tend to burn on our bonfire. So we use it as a use of refuse recycling, if you like. But with all of these methods of fire, I'm talking bonfire, house fires and fire pits we are actually also getting a byproduct which you can use in fact several byproducts so we'll talk about that next it's really easy for you to get in touch with us you can do it either by sending an email to selfsufficientcontact at gmail.com or by using the link in the show notes to send us a voice message you can send us a voice message just using your phone. You could also reach out to us on Facebook, where we have the Self-Sufficient Hub group and the Self-Sufficient Hub page. We're always thrilled to get your feedback, questions or suggestions for future topics on the show. So coming up on Wednesday's episode, I have an interview with Adam from Gardener's Tale and it's a two-part recording and it's all about dealing with fruit tree care and fruit bush care in the winter. So apples, pears, plums, all those kind of trees, but also your strawberries, raspberries and blackcurrants, redcurrants, all of those fruit plants that we have. And what comes up is an interesting conversation about something called biochar. Now, biochar is basically a wonder product that has a million uses around the garden. And as Adam and I hint at in the episode, I think we're going to come together again to do an episode purely on biochar. But what is it? Well, biochar can be a byproduct of your bonfires and your fire pits. It's effectively the charcoal that's left over after you've burnt. And as I say, there are 101 uses for it in the garden. You can crush it up and use it as a perlite type material to aid drainage. And in doing so, you're also going to provide mineral content to your ground. You're also going to be given ash from your fire. Now, ash is an excellent component in your compost. If you're unsure how to use ash in your compost, then perhaps go back to our compost episode and re-listen to that one. But ash can be used in lasagna composting or any type of composting system. And again, it's going to add specific nutrients to your compost. The other thing that you can use your ash for is actually to make lye. Now, if you're going to make homemade soap, then one of the ingredients that you're probably going to want, if you're going to use one of the more traditional methods, one of the more traditional recipes for homemade soap is lye. Now, lye is made literally by passing water through ash, so or having water steeped in ash, if you like. And then the water that is cast off at the end of that steeping process is lye. So there are so many uses for the byproducts of your fires as well, on top of the initial uses of refuse disposal, heat, warmth, cooking, 
comfort, all those other things. So if you're not using fires in any way in your homesteading, in your self-sufficiency idea, in the way you're going, then I think perhaps there's room to incorporate them. And it's something we should all think about. Now, of course, I haven't touched on all the other different things we can do with fire, all the other different ways we can use it, all the other different ways we can start fires. And as you know, I'm a huge fan of bushcraft. It's something that I thoroughly enjoy. So once you get into fires, it opens up a whole new world of learning how to light them without a cigarette lighter, without fire lighters and things like that. Now, I always use a cigarette lighter. It's the easiest way of lighting a fire. And you'd be silly not to, in my opinion. I just use a regular Bic lighter. I always carry one with me because I never know when I might need it. I'm quite often out around the grounds and I want to start a very, very small fire to burn some uh, some paper bags that might have been carrying animal feed in and to start a little fire with them or just if I want to light the bonfire for whatever reason. So I always carry them. I very, very rarely use fire lighters and this is just experience and practice and I like to be able to light a fire without fire lighters. So I don't think that's going to be something I get into a great deal in this episode, but I will just say, you know, if you're into bushcraft, there are so many different tinders out there that you can learn how to use. There are um, fungus called uh, King Alfred's Cakes that you can use as tinder, that you can actually use as a tinder you can carry around with you that stays as a lit ember within it for hours or days even. There are all sorts of bark like uh, silver birch bark that you can use as fantastic tinders and a number of other things. It's some really ingenious tricks and tips around fire lighting, things like using the lint from your tumble dryer as a tinder. That is a great fire lighting tip, but that might be a conversation for another episode. I think I'm going to wrap this one up here and I hope you found something interesting in today's episode and I hope that you find a way to incorporate fires into your self-sufficiency planning. They are an integral part of what we're doing here. I will leave it at that. We'll be back on Wednesday with, as I say, the first part of a two-part interview with Adam from Gardener's Tale. And then I will speak to you again on Friday. Now, Wednesday's interview is already recorded. So the next time I actually record to speak to you guys will be after my surgery on Tuesday. So on Friday's episode is when I'll be able to get you caught up with that. Thanks for listening. And I will speak to you guys soon. If you find this podcast valuable, there's several ways you can support it. The easiest of which is to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. You could also talk about it or share it wherever you post online, including your social media pages. And now you can support the podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. See you soon.